scripture is the well-known story from the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born King of the Jews? We saw its star when it arose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called for all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem, in Judea, for that is what is written in the prophet. But you, O Bethlehem of Judah, are by no means least of the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod met secretly with the Magi and found out from them the time, the exact time that the star had appeared. He said to them, go to Bethlehem and make a diligent search for the child. And when you have found him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. So after they had talked with the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen when it first arose went before them and stopped at the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Coming into the house, they saw the baby with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Opening their treasures, they presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Well, for the second time in eight months, Herod has made the print. You may recall back this winter when National Geographic did a cover story on the discovery of Herod's tomb in September of 2007. And now the Smithsonian has followed with another story on the discovery of Herod's tomb in the desert about 10 miles from Jerusalem. Now, as you piece together the story from the scholars, historians, and Josephus, this is basically what we think we know. About 40 BCE, Herod was named governor of Galilee. But the Parthians came and attacked him because he had declared allegiance to Rome. So Herod, with about 5,000 of his troops and his mother and some family members, was fleeing for his life from Jerusalem through the desert. They came to a place a couple miles outside Bethlehem. His mother's wagon hit a rock and went over. She hit her head. Herod thought his mother was dead. But his mother didn't die. She survived, and somehow this gave Herod the courage to fight. And he and the 5,000 then held off the Parthians and saved Herod's governorship, and later that would be his crown. And after that momentous event in the desert, Herod said, I'm going to be buried at this very spot. Well, how do you get buried in the middle of the desert? Fred, will you show us the first picture? This is uh, coming on the screen, Herod's burial plan, his burial palace. It's called the Herodian. It's about 10 miles from Jerusalem, just a couple miles outside of Bethlehem. In the foreground, you see a large enclosure. That was one of the largest pools. In fact, many people believe the largest pool, outdoor pool, um, in, in, in that time. And there was an island in the middle of the pool so Herod could have private conversations. And you couldn't hear him because he would see you if you were swimming out 
to his island. In the background is actually where Herod would have his tomb. That is a man-made mountain called the Herodium, or Herodion, after uh, Herod. And what he did is he built this man-made mountain. Then he built a nine-story condo office complex on top of it. And the pinnacles on the ninth story of this complex could be seen ten miles away in Jerusalem. Ehud Netzer, who has spent his whole life studying Herod, talked about this burial complex. And he said, what Herod built to be buried in was really a country club. It was a palace, a country club, a place for entertainment and pleasure. And then there he would build his mausoleum. Josephus tells us that when Herod died, he was buried in uh, the mausoleum in a tomb and he was buried in a purple robe. He was buried with a diadem upon his head and a gold crown on top of that. And he had a scepter in his right hand. He had given the order for several thousand of the leading citizens of Israel to be rounded up and held in Jericho. And on word of his death, they were all to be slaughtered. Because people hated Herod, but he wanted someone to cry on the day he died. So that was the plan. Fortunately, it was never carried out. Some years later... There was a revolt against Rome, and the revolutionaries had taken over Herod's uh, palace. Apparently, say scholars, they discovered his sarcophagus, his tomb, and they smashed it into pieces because that's how they felt about Herod. Now, why do I tell you all this? Because ten miles away, about 30 years later, there will be another man who dies. He will not be buried with a crown of gold he will be crucified with a crown of thorns. He will not be wearing a purple robe. He will be wearing what little of his undergarment he has left because they've gambled for the rest of his clothes that he's wearing. And no one is arrested and imprisoned on the day of his death. In fact, says Matthew, on the day of his death and resurrection, the tombs in Jerusalem opened up And many of the people of God were resurrected and seen wandering the streets of Jerusalem. The contrast between these two men who share partly the same stage at partly the same time in history, King Herod and Jesus, the contrast between them could not be greater. But here's what I wanted you to know. We've been talking about the desert all summer, and some of you are are kind of tired of that. but, But I'll tell you what, if it rains, I'll quit talking about it. And maybe we'll move on. But until then, we got a few more Sundays. But here's the deal. Herod was a desert man. His mother was Nabataeans. Those were traders who went from the desert of Arabia on up to Babylon. Anybody sing um, the old uh, Indiana Jones and the, uh, the Holy Grail one? Remember that place where the Holy Grail is hidden? That's called Petra in Jordan. That's a Nabataean a palace. Uh, that's Herod's mother. She's one of those people. Herod's father is an Edomaean, which means basically he is also a desert man living south of uh, the Dead Sea, though not all their area is desert. Herod preferred the desert, built most of his palaces in the desert, wanted to live there and not by the sea because he had a beautiful seaside resort called Caesarea. But he stayed in the desert, shaped by the desert, a desert man. Jesus, as we're told in the Gospels, began his ministry with 40 days in the desert. But it's obvious to me that one of these men learned and embraced the lessons of the desert. And the other man lived his life 
trying not to go by the lessons of the desert, trying not to live by the lessons of life. The one who lived by the lessons of the desert ended up giving life to us all. The one who went against the lessons of the desert ended up living really a living death, always in fear, always in hiding. It is two ways, two paths. There's a path of Herod, a path of Jesus. Real quickly, let me draw a couple distinctions for you, and hopefully it'll bring some of the desert lessons we've had this summer back home. The first is this. Herod refused to learn the desert lesson of trust. That's the, you'll remember the fundamental lesson of the desert is we get out in the desert and we have to trust God and we have to trust other people. Otherwise, we starve. Or otherwise, we die of thirst. But Herod chose instead to live a life of control. And so he built a series of palaces trying to control this desert environment. Fred, if you'll show the next one. There's one more slide. This, some of you may have heard of, is a um, palace Herod built on top of a mountain overlooking the Dead Sea in the desert. It's called Masada. And basically he built a very fancy condo uh, here in the desert. But he devised a brilliant system of rainwater collection and of melted snow collection, since it doesn't really rain in the desert. When it melted uh, back in the mountains and came down, he found a system to collect it. And he had a cistern that was big enough to hold water to take care of a 1,000 soldiers for 10 years or 10,000 soldiers for a year. And basically, Herod's attitude was, come and get me. I can hold out in this fortress, and I can outlast you. He designed his life as a security or control over the wilderness. If he could build enough palaces with enough amenities, he would be shielded against the harsh realities of the desert. He tried to control the climate. Now, he also tried to control the political climate. Uh, Matthew tells us that Herod... Uh, slaughtered the babies of Bethlehem because he worried about this new king of the Jew. And scholars and historians say, well, how come we didn't read about it outside of the Bible? Well, it seems to me there's two pretty clear explanations. First of all, Bethlehem's a small town, so there aren't that many babies there who were killed. So it didn't really register in, in the consciousness of people very much. And the second thing is this, it fits Herod's character. He killed three of his own children. What's to prevent him from killing anybody else? Three of his children he thought might take his place on the throne. Two of them he killed three years before his death. One of them he killed about a week before his death. The irony is Herod wanted his kingdom to last forever. And he killed the three people who were best able to manage that kingdom after his death. And instead, three other sons, Mo, Larry, and Curly, well, that actually wasn't their name. It was Antipas and Philip. and uh, They took over his kingdom and they were inept because he wanted to control things. He eliminated the very people who could have helped his kingdom live on. And then everything he worked for was just wasted away. The economy of the people went to pot. Uh, his his uh, temples and palaces began to fall in ruin. He tried to control the climate. But control, as you know, is an illusion in the desert in our life. He ended up dying of a very terrible STD, among other things. He just, he couldn't protect even himself. Illusion is what control is. And control is an attempt that sometimes is just foolish, and other times it looks silly. I love what the, a comedian wrote about our efforts at control. She said this, 
You can live on bland food so as to avoid an ulcer. Drink no tea, coffee, or other stimulants in the name of health. Go to bed early. Stay away from nightlife. Avoid all controversial subjects so as never to give offense. Mind your own business. Avoid involvement in other people's problems. Spend money only on necessities and save all you can. You can still break your neck in the bathtub and it'll serve you right. The effort at control of our environment or other people is a wasted effort. Jesus lived the way of trust. Give us, he said, our daily bread. Look at the lilies of the field. His life was a life of trust. So in the, in the first major lesson of the desert, Herod fails it. Another lesson was this, that Herod spent his life trying to avoid pain and trying to avoid his people's pain, even though he was their king. Most of his life was spent in one of nine palaces, and he never came down out of them except to go to another palace. Jesus, however, spent his life among the poor, the outcast, the lepers. He could have healed the lepers of the word. Instead, he chose to heal them with a touch. Herod avoided pain. Jesus embraced the pain of other people and tried to redeem it. Herod lived his life solely for pleasure and thought that would give him and preserve his life. Jesus lived his life confronting pain and found real life. Too often the commercials try to tell us that real living is when you can just live for your own complete pleasure. Whether you're jumping out of an airplane skydiving or whether you're at Six Flags, it's all about your pleasure and that will bring meaning. Lesson of the desert is that meaning often comes through pain. Embracing the pain of others and embracing and living with the pain of our own life makes us come truly alive. That's the lesson of the desert. Herod failed it. Jesus passed it. One more lesson. And I, don't, I think we will all see this one. You may remember when I preached about Herod about six months ago. Well, actually, I'm hoping you don't remember, and I'm counting on that this morning. Uh, But we talked about the fact that Herod set out to be the greatest builder who ever lived, and he built these incredible projects like Masada and a man-made harbor at Caesarea. Uh, But then he graduated, and he changed his mind, and he decided he wanted to be the greatest man who ever lived. And everything he did... He did on a big stage, and he did it in a big way. When he was named king by Octavian, by Augustus Caesar, he had just been governor of Galilee, and Caesar's comment was, oh, Herod's much too big for Galilee. He said he has a megalopsychia. He's got such a big spirit that the world's not big enough for him. He wanted to be known forever as the most famous man who ever lived. Well, for 2,000 years, we lost his tomb. All that remains of what he built are tourist attractions at best and ignored by most of the people. At worst, this is Herod. He set out to be bigger in life and he ended up living a miserable life and dying a horrible death. Then there was Jesus. Jesus chose to work in obscurity among the towns and villages of Galilee. Lived his life of daily obedience and daily ministering and blessing of people. And he ended up being known and celebrated and, in fact, lives forever. The lesson of the desert is very clear that if we set out for ourselves, we live not a good life and we die a bad death. When we live for God and for others, we truly come alive. There's one desert man I want to tell you about in closing. You've probably heard of him. 
He lived out in the desert beyond the Jordan. He wore camel's hair and he ate different kinds of food that most people didn't eat. And people came out to him by the hundreds, by the thousands. They came from as far away as Jerusalem, walking on foot to see him. His name was John. We call him John the Baptist. He was a desert man, lived mostly his whole life in the desert. He got the kind of popularity that Herod dreamed about. And at the height of his popularity, when hundreds of people would come from miles around to see him, he sent them away. He sent them to a man named Jesus. And his disciples were perplexed, and they're like, what is this? All these people are coming to you. And you know they're thinking, why do you send them away? And do you remember what he said in the Gospel of John? This was John the Baptist, a desert man's summary of his existence. He said this. Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. That's a lesson of the desert. The love for God and for others in us must increase. And the desire just to please and pamper ourselves must decrease. Those who give themselves for others, say the desert, live a meaningful life. Those who care only about themselves die a terrible, lonely death.